Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our moxie on. Well, hey, 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 girl. How are you doing today? I am great. It's sunny in California, so we are good. Same in South Carolina, and I'm so glad because today's topic is a heavy one. Mm, yes, Wouldn't it is. Agree? Yeah, I, I do. And we want to give it the utmost respect and care that it deserves, but we think it's important. We're going to be talking about grief today, y'all, and I don't know about you, Christina, but as I've rolled into midlife, it seems like I'm having to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what, and, what's interesting, Gail, as I was having this conversation with my husband the other day, and it was like, there's so many different changes that happen in midlife, right? And I asked him, I said, do you think that there was this much change going on when we were in our 20s? Or is it that we're super present and aware of it today because we're getting older? And I don't know, but I just, you know, that that's I a question. I think what we thought was a big deal in our 20s right, right. when we look back was not such a big deal. Right. I am struggling with seeing the generations pass. Mm-hmm. Like as we've watched parents, aunts, uncles, and then that not only does that like rolls, like, you know, when you're at a convenience store and you have those hot dog roller things that are rolling the wieners. <laughs> rolling I feel the like wieners. when that, a generation passes, that's like a rollover. You know, mm-hmm. everything changes. Traditions change around holidays. Um, you don't have those people for their wisdom. And you rise up as the leader yeah. and then you look around and say, Holy cow, I'm freaking next. I'm next on the chopping block, bitch. I've got to, oh my gosh. I mean, and can I just say this? That's that's one of the things that I do, right? Gail, I'll call you and I'll say, okay, I I just need to talk this out really quick. And she's like, this wise, this wise little owl that I have. And and she's like, I'm an owl. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And and it's so great because you know, it's, it's setting it up for the next generation. And I think she's that reminding y'all really that I'm older. That's what she's doing. <laughs> but you know, there are things that when you realize you're now the matriarch, mm-hmm. there's something that comes mm-hmm. with that. Um, and, and I just think we also see that now we're to the age where our peers are passing. Yes. And we start to look at our husbands, our close friends. It's not just the old people, right? It's us. Right. And for our guest today, It's us on a whole deeper level because she's even a little bit younger Mm. and she's already experienced profound grief. Mm. So we want to welcome certified grief educator Heidi Dunstan to the show. Hi, Heidi. Hi, ladies. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, We're so happy. The day we interviewed Heidi, we're like, okay, she's our new friend. We Mm. love her. I think you feel the same way. I do. Yeah. 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 And it's so funny. And that's one thing I love about these kind of formats. We just have all these connections. But Heidi's story just really was a mm. gut punch. Yes. And it's a wake up call that we, we need to be prepared for grief. Mm-hmm. We need to handle grief appropriately. We need to understand how to help other people handle grief. That's in a healthy and loving way. Yes. And Heidi has turned her grief into a mission and a work. Yeah. Which is absolutely beautiful. Don't you think? I mean, cause how many times do women really take that time to say, okay, 
I'm going to enter into the pain while I'm going through pain and be there for other women. Like that's like a, that's a, that's a tall order. Like, well, and it's so, I think it's very healthy. Yes. if, If that's who you are to go through that. But I also think it's very kind and giving when you're willing to rip that Band-Aid off again and again and again and go to those emotions for the help and benefit of others. So, Heidi, we don't take that lightly. We appreciate you. And our goal is to handle you and your story with the utmost care today. Now, you know, we get a little carried away sometimes. We're going to try to keep it under control. She's laughing because she said she listens to the show. <laughs> well, at least so. she knows what she's in for, you know. Yeah, you're so. prepared, Heidi. You ready? I'm ready. You're ready. Bring it, ladies. And we've all, we just invited ourselves to Heidi's home. So there's that. Yes. She politely declined. Try to use the old space <laughs> issue. Like I haven't slept on the couch before. She thinks that's enough to hold us back, yeah. Christina. Isn't yeah, that cute? I know. The treehouse is open, ladies, uh, in the in the yard. Okay. Hey, well, it's that, nice in, in, yeah. in PV, so we're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah, we're good with that. Don't know. Don't know why you didn't mention that first. People get high dollar for these treehouse vacations. So, Heidi, welcome to the show. You have a very personal story to tell today, and you're also an advocate for kind of a reformation of what we're teaching about grief Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. way it's been handled in the past. So would you mind to start by just telling your story? What happened? Sure. So I lost my husband unexpectedly in 2018, Mm. um, two days after Christmas and the day before my 40th birthday. Um, I'd heard that he was planning a surprise party and um, knowing him, I questioned what we were feeding the 40 people he'd invited and found out that there, it was chicken wings and cake on the menu. So I said, hey, let's let's enhance the menu a bit and head to Costco. And um, on the way home, as we went to the till, he said, I'm not feeling well. I feel like I kind of have the flu. And I said, you know what? It's the 27th. He was going to go to work that afternoon. I said, let's just stay home and chill out. Hmm. Get some rest, see if it helps you feel better. And and uh, we got home. He pulled he pulled his truck, my truck there. His truck was in the driveway. He's like, I'm going to move my truck and we can unload and I went to bring a load of groceries in from the, into the front door. I came back and he'd collapsed in the driveway. Mm. Wow. um, Yeah. He was a retired fireman. He'd been with Calgary fire department for over 30 years. Um, We lived across the street from the fire hall. So the boys were there super fast. Wow. Um, And literally an hour later they called time of death. So how old was your husband at this time? He was 63, so he was 24 years my senior, Um, super young at heart, really energetic, lots of, like, I mean, I have photos of him at restaurants with napkins on his head and kids (laughs) laughing at him, like, we we had water fights, yeah, like, just tons of fun. Very cool. He's a little older than me, but people don't even notice because he's so young, Mm. he looks good, he's healthy, he's a hottie. Um, So any health issues prior to that, if anything I'm asking you is to invasive, but we're not here to make anybody cry. This is not Barbara Walters, Mm. even though we like that sometimes. But I think it's important to know the circumstances. So were there any health problems going in? Was there any expectation of this? Um, He had had some stuff, conversations with his doctor. His doctor had wanted to go on meds. Um, He declined. His doctor had asked him to go to a cardiac clinic. He declined Mm. um, just months before. Like he saw his doctor in May. He saw his doctor in August, September-ish, and then he saw his doctor again in November. So there was some heart and heart stuff going on? Yeah, his BP was a little uh, high, and okay. 
but he was very adamant. He's like, I'm going to exercise and I'm just, I'm going to take care of it. Um, and it wasn't until after he passed that I found out that there was also a family history of heart disease and he just, he ignored. So was it symptoms. ultimately a heart attack? Yeah. Wow. And so you found him. I found him. I did CPR. Um, Ooh. thankfully for just a couple minutes, um, cause the boys literally were across the street and, um, they did everything they could, um, just wasn't revivable. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's just, let's just it, let you know how sorry we are yeah. because, and, and I don't bring this stuff up to just be morbid, but I think there's certain grief levels and certain trauma mm-hmm. that comes from every stage of this. If you expect someone to pass, it's hard when they pass, but you had some preparation. If you know someone's having health problems, if you're the one that finds them, if you're involved in the resuscitative efforts, yeah. those are all benchmarks that can impact our grief and our. Tra- you, would you agree with that, Heidi? Yeah, I think you know, grief is grief, um, and I tend not to try to compare it or make one worse than the other because sure. I, I mean, it means if you expected it, it means you've also watched somebody decline, and um, I didn't. I watched him happy and healthy and. You know, I remember even with my grief counselor, she was like, how are you with the fact that you didn't get to say goodbye? And for me, I was like, I'm, I'm okay with it. And she's yeah. like, you, you can't be okay with it. And I said, I am because he died happy. Yeah. I said, if he would have had to say goodbye to me, he would have been devastated. But don't so you I, agree that there are different, depending on the passing may impact how you, I'm not saying anyone, you're absolutely right. Grief is grief. But I think. Sometimes you have to grieve different parts of it. Is that the better way to say that? Yeah, I just, I choose not to compare only because it's like trying to compare sure. pain. Right? Yeah, well, no comparison. Well, I just think and, it may, it may impact the kind of therapy you might need or the, yeah. like well, my friend's mom just passed and she witnessed she, yeah. it and she was involved in the resuscitative and she's had to really work through the, could I have done anymore? Where if you're not there, you know, so grief, I'm just trying to say that there might be grief on different parts for you based on how you've experienced yeah. it and you may need different things. Well, go ahead, Christine. And, and grief changes even when, based on the age. Right, right. right. Like you yeah. go to a different grief program based on if you're a young widow or a widow. Well, and mm. I, I just had a, a family friend lose her husband pretty much like the same way that you lost your husband, just collapsed in the morning had no idea that anything was going on. I mean, she knew that he had some ailments, but didn't know. And she's really struggling to be okay and rest in it. And she was upset. She was upset with him because of the the medical part of it. And I, I wonder, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, Heidi, are you mad at him for not you know, doing X, Y, and Z, but is that, yeah, is that normative? Is that something that you're just like, gosh, I would still have him had he done? I I was angry. Yeah. There was a time that I was. um, I'm trying to be very cautious and, 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 yeah. You don't have to be. I I, I was angry. Don't think we're, uh, the things I said before, it helps others. No comparison. I'm just trying to show that, because I know where you're part of what you're going to talk about is the different sides of grief and that there shouldn't be comparisons because everybody's grief story yeah. is different. Everybody's trauma response mm-hmm. to it's different. Um, yeah. So, yeah, go ahead with 
what Christina was. You know, I, I think the reality is I was angry. Yeah. I'm not anymore. Um, it is, it is what it is. It's, it's helped me to come to acceptance mm. for me. COVID was a big reality. Like he would have hated being in COVID. Mm. He would have been miserable here. He loved seeing people. He loved hugging people. Being heroic for him wasn't sitting on a couch. So I know he wasn't meant to be down here during COVID. Um, but I, you know, that first year and a half, yeah, I was angry. Yeah. I was angry that he didn't tell me. Yeah. I was, I was mad at myself for not going to doctor's appointments and mm. being that yeah. nagging lady to say like, Hey, take the medication or Hey, go to the clinic. Um, but I can't change that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, I went through those. Right. So how long ago has it been? Did you say? It's just been over three years. It was three years at Christmas. Okay. Wow. Because I definitely, you know, one thing we're going to talk about is the wow. stages of grief. And I know you don't like that term, but I we're going to talk about, you know, time is is a big part of grief. Um, hmm. And I just want to say, and I think how do you agree with this? Grief is personal. And everybody handles grief in a different way, just like we have the Enneagram personality types. We have introverts and extroverts. We have people who are... You know, they want to grieve in groups with people who want to grieve alone. And I think part of your message has been to let it be that way and don't try to put it in boxes. Am I, is that correct? I believe grief is as individual as your fingerprint. None of us go through it the mm. same. It, you know, there are people that grieve Mike just as deeply as I do. And I was his spouse, but it was that they had a close relationship to him. They were important to him. Um, they were, they were important. He was important to them. And so I don't even minimize that when somebody comes to me and, and they look more emotional than I am about grieving Mike, I totally honor it Yeah, because it is where they are right now. And it doesn't matter the relation. The reality is he's left a lot of holes and hearts down here. Mm. Well, let's talk about that, how you came to this place. It sounds like if I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like out of the gate that some of your experience some of maybe the counseling or advice or the things you got, the resources that became available to you made you feel like you were on a timeline or had to do this in a certain way. Is that accurate? If so, tell us a little bit about how did you get to this very open-minded way of handling grief? Were there well, some? I, I came, I came to the, this situation with a bunch of tools in my toolbox already. I met Mike at a personal development seminar. Mm -hmm. So I already had tools. I've, I've personal development has been a big part of my life. Um, just from a previous, I, I grew up in a very traumatic home. And so I've had to do a lot of healing. Yeah. I was going to ask and that. So, mm -hmm. Right. And so already having those tools makes a big difference, not being afraid to ask for help and not being afraid to go and get counseling to know that pff, this is over my head. Um, and I specifically looked for people in grief just because I've been to other psychologists. I've been to trauma people. And I just know that grief gets really, um, really um, overlooked when it comes to training. Yes. And so I wanted people specific in grief. And um, I was really fortunate. I found I, I, I went through two counselors and was like, this isn't for me. And then I found one that was fabulous. So when you were okay. going, well, let me ask you yeah, this. Let's talk about those negatives. Yeah. Because I think that's part of what, am I wrong that that's part of what's brought you to where you are is you had some not great grief experiences? Yeah, that's. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the reasons why I teach people what to say and not to say is because you say, you hear a lot of crazy things from people Yes. or, or you hear nothing at all. Yeah. And that silence is deafening. So, you know, to have somebody say to me, 
hey, Heidi, I understand grief. I went through divorce. Five days after Mike's funeral is not an appropriate thing to hear to say to oh somebody gosh. who's... Well, well with know, those, you know what the I, therapists give me a Christina about that. <laughs> Let's just hang on the therapist for one second. Cause this is yeah. one I really want to be made because it comes back to when we did your pre-show, I got the impression that the way they were telling you to handle your grief didn't sit with you. Am I wrong? Did I get the wrong idea? You know, there was a couple of counselors who just were like, oh, you're doing everything right. Um, they didn't really understand that those are the four walls. When I was in that one hour session, those four walls were the place where I didn't have to be somebody that I wasn't. I could actually be raw and vulnerable. I could actually say, hey, I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. Um, I miss him terribly. This is so hard. And they were like, that's normal. Mm-hmm. That's normal. That's normal. And they wouldn't let me dig. And I needed to dig. I needed to get through some of that stuff. Um, I believe. So wait, what you're saying culture. is they, they wanted to put a line under that is normal. So we don't need to talk about that anymore. Well, yeah, because, exactly. because I'm just thinking about like how he collapsed in the driveway and you had to go in and resuscitate. There is something deep there. I'm sorry. There's just something deep and it's traumatic. Trauma. It is traumatic mm-hmm. for somebody to go through that and for you, you to just say, oh, that's normal. It's like, yeah, that's normal. And then what? And then what? You know, because it's like, yes, thank you for affirming me in where I'm at. I appreciate that. And now what's next? Because there's this deeper, I call it the iceberg as my therapist calls it. You know, there's this iceberg that you can see on the top, but there's this other layer down at the bottom that's like, I'm going to crash and burn into it if you don't help me to discover and uncover what is, what is this underneath that's going on. So gosh, Heidi, I get it. I think you're really right there, Christina. It's normal, but to almost put a Mm. period instead of a comma in that sentence is um, troubling. So did you find this with both of the first two therapists? Because I'm trying to get to, do you think these therapists were getting it wrong or were they just not the right fit for you? Are therapists out there getting it wrong or is this such a personal process that you need to shop for the one that, you know, what do you need to shop? I always, I always believe you have to shop, even if you've got grief people, but I would say that, um, you know, you read somebody like Megan Devine's book, like it's okay that you're not okay. Mm. She was a psychotherapist and she watched her husband drown in a river Uh. and she realized that she had missed the mark with her patients in grief. Mm. And because it, it just wasn't acknowledged. She's, she realized over all those years as a therapist that she said some really inappropriate things now that she's living it. Yeah. Well, there's and the book. Hard part is, is, <laughs> yeah, there's that book know. learning and then there's experience. Yeah. 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 Until you do it. Trauma well, is such a you, part of all this. You know what I, yeah. I didn't like, Heidi, when my dad passed, and you probably could relate to this, is when people would say, I'm sorry. And I'm like... What do you, what are you sorry about? Like, what are you sorry about? I don't, I don't need you to say, I'm sorry. I need you to just be there. I just need you to sit with me. I just need you to enter into my suffering with me. And if you can't do that, then you don't need to, to be here because I'm sorry is not what I need. 
you know? That's interesting. Yeah. I find I'm sorry for your loss really stops the connection. Yes. So when you say I'm sorry for your loss, the person purses their lips and says, thank you. It's right up there. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your service. Um, And then the connection stops. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've done my due diligence. Well, and and, let me say this to Gail really quick, Heidi, and then jump in. Gail, there is a difference. You, you were willing to enter into the suffering with Martha Joyce yeah. and myself. You have been one of those people that say, I'm sorry. And then. Yeah. Okay. So, so the so I'm sorry it's, itself it's, is not bad. Well, it's, it's not bad, but you think about it. Think about like if a six-year-old was to say that, like, you know, if, you know, I, I have, I posted a, a social media post where a six-year-old approaches his mom, who's writing a, an, a, a sympathy card. And he's like, so are you sorry that you, you killed her mom's, her mom, or are you sorry that her mom is dead? Yeah. The words don't really make sense. Mm-hmm. And so what I typically do is I'll say, you know, losing a parent is a significant loss mm-hmm. or losing a friend. That, that's hard. See, I, I thought when I say, I'm sorry for your loss, I'm, I thought I was letting you know that I'm sorry for, you know, to be sorry for the individual means nothing. They're gone. It's over. They're getting their hallelujahs. Um, I thought I was saying my care for you in that mm-hmm. moment. So I've missed the mark on that. I'm just going to own that. But it, but, and it's also, it's a standard phrase yes. that we've been taught. Yes. It is just some, and it is, it's why I do what I do now because people are like, I don't know what else to say. So I say what I've been taught. Um, and so I always say, I want to acknowledge the existence that the pain is there. Yeah. It's a significant pain. You know, and if I know the person, one, I use their name, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I would say that losing John is a significant loss. And, you know, I really loved when you shared stories about him, your eyes lit up and I see how much you love him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That changes the level of connection. Yeah. And the person actually, I'm actually leaning in to support them. I'm holding that space. And I think what Christina was saying earlier is really about, just hold that space. Right. I don't need, you know, just because I'm crying, don't tell me I need it. Do you need a moment privately? No, please sit beside right. me and watch me cry because I want you to see that I'm hurting because, you know, I always say, I'm sorry for your loss. Almost feels like I'm sorry that you're hurting, which means I'm sorry that I loved you mm. or I'm sorry that you love this person. Right. And I believe grief is love. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we grieve because we yeah. love and it wouldn't hurt if we didn't love them. So I don't want somebody to apologize to me that I love Mike. Mm. I love that, Heidi. Gosh, my mind's going in a million directions because what I'm really meaning to say is I'm sorry you're hurting. I'm sorry that you've lost something that's valuable. That's truly what my heart means when I say that. So I'm getting to work on that. I don't think that you're saying it ingenuinely. No. So don't. Yeah, she doesn't. And that's, that's what I, that's why I wanted to say that, Gail, is because you say, I'm sorry and then. Like you, you go and you So enter we need in. to do better with that and then. Is that mm-hmm. what you guys are saying? Yeah. Is that it's passing? The, it's a lot of people just say that I'm sorry for your loss is an obligatory statement, period. The conversation stops. Yeah. Or I do that the conversation with people says, that are. I'm sorry for your loss. I know what it's like. My, my goldfish died <laughs> or my grandma died or like. Well, and that's, that's the comparative game, right? So there's so many times where I know that I have said the wrong thing prior to my dad passing. And I, I went to a friend who lost her dad, um, 
years ago and, and she lost him just before Thanksgiving and they had to, you know, I think it was her brother that had to resuscitate him or tried to, and I just didn't understand, you know, there's a level of understanding that happens when somebody close to you passes and you don't get it until you're in the middle of it. And and, and I, I went back to her and I said, you know, I just have to tell you, I, I didn't handle that well. And I get it. Like I, my heart gets it for you. And I know that it's a struggle. And every year I always text her and say, I know this is a hard time for you. And we've, we have like a same, the same pattern now because my dad was just before Thanksgiving. And so you know, we can share that commonality, that common bond, that um, that suffering together. And just because you suffer, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just means that we get it. We get it. That's hard. It's hard for me because I'm a fixer. And mm-hmm. for my friends, it's hurting. I want to make that stop. I want to fix it. I want to, I do want to carry their load. Like I want to get under the, what's that thing called with the cows, you know, and Jesus, you're the yoke. I want to get under the yoke and, <laughs> and help you. I want to be one of your cattle for the people closest to me now yeah. with people yeah. that I'm acquaintances with. I've been very guilty of that. I'm sorry for your loss and that's it. So I'm going to do better. So Heidi, what mistakes as a culture and as a society are we making in handling grief? Mm. Yeah, kind of, let's go broadband and then drill it let's down. Go big. Yeah. <laughs> so one, we're we're a painted verse culture, and you made a really good point, Gail, is that we wanted to fix it. Painted verse, okay. Painted. Yeah, we don't painted verse. We don't like talking about pain. We don't like seeing people in pain. We always want to find the silver lining. We always want to find the um, the 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 gift, right? Like, let's find the lesson. Well, the lesson is that we love our person, which means we're grieving them, and so we can't fix it, and the best way to deal with grief is to hold space. Mm -hmm. Do you think our culture as Americans and the time period we're living in now that we are more pain adverse or is this just humankind? Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I'll be really honest. I I, I don't think it's a one stop shop. I think that um, we are not comfortable seeing people in pain. No, we're not. So if somebody's grieving and and that grief might look like tears, it'll be like, please don't cry. You're going to make me cry. Mm -hmm. Instead of thank you for sharing your tears with me. Yeah, because you're all about yourself. It's It's a very selfish culture. You stop crying so I won't feel poorly. That's what yeah. we're saying. Yeah. You, yeah. You, yeah. I don't give a rip about your pain. You need to dry that up because it's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I have a good eyelash day today. Don't miss it. How don't shitty are we? Right? Like, you need right? better and eyelash so, clothing, girl. <laughs> work that out. Right. Well, so. But I mean, and, and it's even things like, how are you? Mm-hmm. Say that to a griever. The typical answer is supposed to be, I'm good, fine, or okay. And a griever's none of those. None. none. So I, I encourage you to say, how's today? Mm, that's mm. a great line. You know, because okay. I don't, uh, when, when people say this to me, Heidi, and I'm like, how, how am I? Huh? I have to sit with that question for a minute and go, well, at what level do you want me to engage you? Because if you and want do they me even to really en- want an answer, yeah, if you want me to engage you at a deep level, I'm not okay. 
I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And, and how do you receive that? Like, can you fix it? No. Are you going to be willing to hold space for me when I tell you I'm not okay? Probably not. So yeah, you know, (laughs) but I mean, I I lost 30 pounds in the first three months Mm. of losing Mike and people were like, and I've got a little bit of extra. I'm not going to lie. So they were like, you look great. And they, nobody acknowledged the fact that I was eating one meal a day because I couldn't eat. Yeah. I hated eating alone. I struggled to cook. If, if there was more than one pot on the stove, I burnt it. Everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just, and it was like when somebody said, hey, you know what? I see that mm. you've lost a lot of weight. Is it because you're struggling to eat alone? And I was like, yeah, mm. I am. And they're like, we'd love to bring dinner over. Or you're welcome to come to our home for dinner anytime. Yeah. Yeah, is sometimes it, what I'm hearing you say, it's just that one word different, that extra sentence that changes how that lands. Um, I want to go back to the pain adverse culture, because I think part of what I've seen is as we advance medically, we have less and less expectation for people to suffer or be die. Yeah, be die, suffer or die. <laughs> die. We we think we can fix everything. So right. You know, from medical. And if we can't fix it, we can make them comfortable. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it isn't. Mm. And I think the way, yeah, the way people die is very differently. And I had a medical doctor say to me, dying is a process. It's not, I mean, our heart does stop at one minute, but systems don't all stop at the exact same time. And my mother was a slow death. She was, I mean, it was quick from her diagnosis, but from the point that she stopped eating and drinking and was comatose, right? That woman dragged that out. I don't know what she was waiting <laughs> on, but that woman, she gonna do it on her own terms. And yeah. you know, she had the graying of the nails and she had the decomposition of her body skin. And y'all, that's a different kind of thing to go through than an instant. And I think we have to. I didn't feel like in my situation, and this is not about me today. I just want to share this because I think it goes to a point. I didn't think that people understood how hard it was to see death take place. I don't mean to see that my mom was dying. I mean to see when we rolled her over the skin breaking down on her back. Active dying. Because if mm-hmm. you've never seen active dying, it is it is different. The it's death different. rattle. And I did not feel like in my grief that anyone come along because my brother didn't do that part. I'm the one that was giving her a suppository, you know, and I didn't feel like anybody was there for to come. Nobody come beside me and said, that must have been incredibly hard to see your mom's skin breaking down. That must have been really hard to stand there the minute she took her last break because I was in the room. My dad was had gone to the store. My brother wasn't there. You know, there's parts of this. And I think. To be compassionate with people, we need to really think about what they've been through. Like for you, Heidi, my heart hurts that that moment of emergent realizing something's terribly wrong. Yeah, that's that's something for people to provide a lot of compassion to. We don't have to only provide compassion that there's been a loss. Shouldn't we be providing compassion for the trauma and the experience that someone has been through? I mean, sitting in a hospital room for months with someone, that is traumatic and incredibly mm-hmm. difficult. So are we doing a good job with those parts? I don't think so, but you tell me. I don't think so either, because I'm sure you heard, Gail, 
at least she's not suffering anymore. Oh, I hate when people say at least. Right. And and the reality is, is you standing right before them, you are suffering. Your mom isn't here anymore. You had to endure that trauma of supporting her and caring for her. And so the at least avoids the pain. That's right. When I think some people. at least she's with God. Acknowledge that it was hard. Yeah. Acknowledge that it was hard. Well, and it, again, it's, I think back to Heidi's original statement, are we holding space for people? Because that's, that's the part where people just want to do, I think this is another painted verse, right? This is a platitude of, oh, here you go. Um, at least she's this. And I have been, I have been one of those people prior to my dad passing. And now I, I stop and I pause and I'm like, what can I say? And if I can't say anything, like if I don't have the words, I just say, I have no words and I understand, you know, like that's it. Like I have no words and I understand because sometimes I just, well, too, can we just talk about that? I don't think any of us are scholars in the book of revelations to know where their body is. That always cracks me. Well, they woke up this morning in the arms of Jesus. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe they're in Hades. Maybe they're still in the ground till Jesus returns. It depends on how you see the end times, where you think they are. And we say these ludicrous things with all this knowledge that, well, she sang in the choir with Jesus this Sunday. I mean, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. We don't even know if they got a choir. Maybe they have a DJ. I don't know. You know, let's just stop. Let's just stop with the stupid things we say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Heidi, going back to mistakes, pain adverse culture, that's one. What are some other overarching places we're making mistakes with grief? I think that we get silent, mm-hmm. and that's when we need to lean in. It's those times when we don't know what to say. I think Christina is totally right. Say, I don't have the words for you, but I'd like to be with mm-hmm. you. So if I'm hearing How you correctly, that? it's more important to be we try to get it right. We try to say the right thing. And it would be more important to say, I don't know, but I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's good. Because I think we're always looking for that perfect thing rather than perfect presence. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, the hard part is, is the silence is deafening. I've yet to find a widow who hasn't lost friends um, after they've lost a spouse. Yeah. And... And, and I, I acknowledge the fact that I, a piece of me died. I am not the same person. And so I get that some of those friendships die. But in those first few months, I can tell you that that grief of losing those friends was significant. It was really hard for me to process. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm really grateful. Like my mom, and, and I can't speak for her friends. I can just tell you what I've seen. Uh, my mom after losing my dad and her friend, actually losing her husband, the one that collapsed prior, like a month before my dad passed. And then we had another friend who lost her husband five years prior to my dad's passing. And everybody just, you know, they just knew how to do it correctly. They slowed down. They, they entered in, they delivered food they, you know, they just did it right. I, I don't know how to even explain it, but they just did it right. And I don't know, it has, has it shifted from, from like years 
you know, generationally, the older, yeah, ge- generationally, yes. You know, has it shifted? I think, I think, I think it depends on, on the type of people mm. and the friendships and the, and what skills they bring to the table. Um, and I, I mean, I had some really gifted people in my life. I, and I, I had some people leave significant people in my life left that I, I was just really because they couldn't they deal yeah. mm. one. They couldn't deal with like Mike, they were very close to Mike and they couldn't process gr- grieving him. And two, they couldn't watch me. I was a reminder. Mm. See that made them, that made it more about them than about you. That's very sad. They're, they they couldn't tolerate a little pain to help you through your pain. That's not loving people. Well, pain adverse culture, Gail. Oh my goodness. So well, but do you think, is- let, let me just kind of do the double-edged sword here, Heidi. Do you think that that person was learning how to, or figuring out how they could enter into their own grief through this situation? It could be both. I mean, in my situation, it was four of them. They were like, Mike and I were best friends. There was a group of six of us. Yeah. And all four of them backed out of my world. Mm. Have not seen them since mm. his funeral. Well, now that just sucks. And if those people yeah, are listening, sucks. we just want to let you know that's a foul. <laughs> that's a but big it, it party foul. Off. Yeah, you're <laughs> not cool. Yeah, but it, it it happens often. But we've got. And to I, I will I will tell you, I had other angels. I had people who I did not expect to step up and step into my life. You know, that is um, the beauty of grief, trauma, and things happen in our life. And I say it's God, say it's the universe, but. Where one walks away, sometimes one steps in, and it's mm-hmm. what you yeah. need in that moment. So maybe space needs to be made. Where else yeah. are we getting it wrong, Heidi? Do you think? I think you know, what you've said to me is putting it on a timeline. Yeah, we yeah we we talk about that. You know, oh, it's been it's been a year. Your grief should be over. I've seen people, you know, they're at work and they're like, "Hey, how are you?" And they're like, "I'm not well. I'm shitty, actually." Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, why? And they're like, well, my husband died like five weeks ago. And they're like, oh, you're not over that yet? Oh, because we're so fast paced. I feel like we're so fast paced. And it's like that stuff doesn't just slide underneath the carpet and you just keep it moving. Yeah, I'm here because I got to show up. I got to eat. I got to feed my family or whatever. But I'm still not okay. What is what? That just gets my go. Well, I think there's different <laughs> levels of okay. I think yes. there's levels of what I'm able to do and what I'm not, because a lot of us go back to work very quickly because we have no choice. Mm-hmm. Our culture does not allow yeah. for, you know, I want to be more yeah. European. You get eight weeks off for everything. Um, you know, our culture says, come back to work and resume normalcy. That will help you. Then there's the normal of your social activities. There's the normal of your diet and your calendar. There's a lot of checks and balances of what's normal and what it should look like. And that is so different for so many people. When we put it on these timelines, it's really not fair to say she should be, should, that word should, she should be. Stop shitting on Mm -hmm. yourself and others, Mm -hmm. right? But now let me ask you this. In the absence of time markers, some type of time marker, how do we calculate, know, assess if someone is in a deeper place of need where they're going to need more support than the natural yeah. You're going to see it progression. right before your eyes. The reality is there is no normal. I can tell you, like, this Christmas was a hard Christmas. I wasn't expecting it to be hard. But the biggest piece for me was I realized that next Christmas will be the Christmas. It means I had Mike. I, I've been, Mike's been gone longer than I had him. 
Mm. And so my head was like, this is my last Christmas in that space. I have another friend who her husband died 12 years ago and her birthday this year, she turned older than he was. And that doesn't make sense. And her grief that day was just as deep as it was day one. And so it doesn't mean that she's not doing it right. It doesn't mean that, you know, 12 years later, she needs intensive therapy. It's like, hey, today it hurts. Yeah. And it can hurt just as deeply as day one. In the absence of time markers, what should, because I think what people are looking for is a way to assess if you're okay, if you're this by this time point. I don't think people mean it that you have to get here, but I think in our, you know, desire to understand and our Mm -hmm. desire to love people well, we're like, well, if she's not here by the three month part, we should be concerned. So I hear you saying we need to take that off the table. Take it off Mm. the table. So let's shift to when should we be concerned? And I don't mean we're always going to be concerned for a friend. When should we be concerned for her I'm struggling for how to put this. When should we be concerned above a general caring? If, you know, I think reality is, is that if you, if your gut says they're not well, no different than if they were going through a divorce or no different than if they were going through an illness. If your gut says they're not the same, reach out and be honest and say, Hey, I'm really concerned. You know, some of the things that I'm hearing from you or some of the things I'm seeing, I want to know, like, be honest with me. Are you okay? Or is there something else I can do to support you? Or do you need some help? Like, are you accessing other external supports like therapy or coaching or, you know, any kind of support that way? Um, Maybe they don't know how to access it. Maybe they can't afford it. And you could maybe help them find some free resources. Um, Well, let me, there's lots of things that we can do. We just have to be willing to lean in and ask the question in a loving way, not a, you should be here by now. Why aren't you? It's the, I see you're hurting. What else can we do to help? So so what about the woman that, and, and I'm saying this because my mother is notorious for this. She doesn't process the grief. Like she says she has, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing better. You know, I had, my dad was sick for a year. You know, she had him out of the house for, you know, seven months and we had him in the house for seven, five, six months, and then back in the house for five months, she saw him deteriorate. And, and she tells me she's fine. And I know that I am still in pain. And that was my dad. You know, this was your partner. This was your husband. And, and I don't know, how do you show up for those people? How do you, how do you do that? Let me add this to it. Because we're making an assumption. I think we shouldn't make an assumption on either side. Well, because we do make the assumption you're not grieving enough. You're not sad enough. You have moved on. You, I saw you laugh yesterday. Inappropriate. (laughs) Inappropriate. You know, (laughs) well, no, we do the same. It's great that she does all those things, but there's there's something like Heidi was saying there's a gut. Yeah, how do we differentiate that? Well, the hard part with you, Christina, is that you are like, I'm hurting. So you should be too like this. And I believe judgment is grief's kryptonite. Mm. When we judge ourselves Mm. or we judge others, it really stops from Mm. connection. So when you have to trust what she says, I I don't, I don't think your mom has lied to you all these years in her life of your life. Mm -hmm. So why would she start lying to you now? 
That's good. If you keep showing up and saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you or today, you know, let's do something to honor dad's birthday or let's do something to, you know, celebrate your anniversary or acknowledge it. And you keep showing up, she will appreciate it. Or she might say, that's not where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Because again, we'll go back to grief is as individual as your fingerprint and it doesn't need to look like yours. Mm. And you know, some people are really eager to move on. That's the way they need to do this. Mm -hmm. And they're the one who gets to do it. And some people are really eager to sit in it for a while. That's how they do it. What occurred to me as you were talking though, is just because what they're doing is normal, it doesn't, mean it's not painful. Like if you see a friend and you say, oh, she's, she's, you know, it's normal for the, the, the place that she's at, that doesn't mean she doesn't need you mm-hmm. or that you can't still carry some of that burden and that pain and want that out with her, right or wrong? Totally. I, I, I believe that, you know, we still have to sit with it. We still have to be comfortable with it. We can still say, you know, I remember when dad did this at Christmas time, or I love it when dad was part of this at, at Thanksgiving or those holidays and still bring dad into the picture. You can be like, you know, I, I was flipping through photos and I love this picture. Yeah. Um, and, and she may set a boundary and say, you know what, it's really hard for me to see all of that. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, I have, I, I know people that grieve that can't look at pictures that can't go into those spaces and that's places. Me. It's too painful. I can't look at pictures. I get yeah. I get very sad. It's interesting yeah. what evokes those feelings in in each of us because I, I, again, not about me, but just to give a different story. After my mom passed, my mom was the matriarch. She hosted the holidays, and she was a person who cooked everything. She didn't really want people to bring much, and she did all in her kitchen. And so what we had decided that first year that we would still do it at their home, but I would come to their home and cook the meal. Y'all, it was, it was the awfulest thing to be in her kitchen cooking. I don't mean my food was awful, but no one stopped and noticed because you didn't cook with my mom in her kitchen. That was not what you did. So there wasn't any warm memory tied to that. It was a constant reminder all day of her absence. I wasn't in my own home. It was super uncomfortable. Um... It was all these things, and nobody recognized it. Nobody else in the family, my brother, his wife, how difficult that was to stand in her kitchen and cook a meal and try to serve it. It was just grief-filled for me all day long. And Mm -hmm. I said to them, though, later that I will not do this again. And so I do think it's something to be said for knowing our own truth about it and, and finding the words to vocalize it, just verbalize it, just say, I can't do this. Did you feel free to say that or did you have times where people the, made you uncomfortable? Depended on the situation. I had lots of people who, you know, along the way, and please don't take this the wrong way, but they they hardly knew me or they hardly knew Mike, but they had heard somebody had said, oh, Heidi lost her spouse recently. Oh, how did he die? Mm. And it's like, one he's dead. Can you fix it? Like, how's that answer going to help me? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I always say like, one, we don't ask, don't need to ask those questions. We don't need to put people in trauma. Mm. Um, I actually had a fireman who turned around and I thought this was really great. Gracious. He said he, he, he had seen Mike about a week or 10 days before Mike passed. And he was like, he told me he was happy and in love with you and he-, he looked so healthy. And then I got the email that he passed and he was like, so may I ask what happened? 
wasn't how did he die? What was the cause mm-hmm. of death? It was may I ask? And because he had seen Mike, I was open to saying it was a heart attack. But when we force somebody to go into that trauma day, that day is etched in our being. All of us remember 9-11. Yes. It's etched in our being. The day somebody dies, whether it was expected or not, is etched in our being. We know what we were wearing. We know where we were. We know every scent, every every visual cue it's there and you know what i've noticed that we do is first of all we're being nosy and we are naturally curious and that's okay but i think we assign grief values Mm -hmm. like if they died real traumatically or you know it was a fiery burning crash we're gonna oh that's horrible versus she had cancer and died i mean what is wrong with us as a society that we're evaluating the amount of comfort we should show you based on how the person died and how horrific it was. That's what we're doing. It's crazy. Well, and think about it now with COVID. Oh, how did they die? COVID. Oh, okay. Everybody got it. Like, yeah. And it's like, the reality is it, is it takes away the power of the pain that the person is holding. You don't even want to get me started on that because that's why I get so Exasperate with people who dismiss it. It's just a college. You're going to be fine. I'm like, tell that to my friend two streets over because she's not fine. Her husband's gone. She's like you, Heidi. It's not fine. She's awake every night at one and two in the morning holding a pillow in her grief. And the absence of this presence of this person that cannot be refilled and backfilled and certainly not easily. And she's at the year mark. People would say, well, she gets by. She goes to work. She does the things with her kids. But it's those dark hours of the night Mm -hmm. that are so difficult. Yeah. And it's it's the, you know, for me, I kind of thought, even for myself, I I wasn't educated in grief. I mean, I had some psychology courses. But the year mark, I was like, oh, it's going to get easier. Year two is harder. Yeah. Because it's like going to the dentist, like the first year is like you went to the dentist for major dental work and you're totally frozen and numb and you're a zombie walking through life. And year two, all that freezing comes out and you're now seeing where your person was supposed to be, the things that like that, you know, things well, the compassion the is and, dialed back greatly well, it's, too. It's, yeah, the compassion too. But then also it's the the things we were supposed to still do. Yes. Uh, oh, I always wanted him to go to that restaurant or, oh, we, I would have, he would have loved this vacation yes. or, and you really just start to feel it because you're not numb anymore. Well, that's, that's my, so just to kind of go back to my mom, she was saying that her and my dad were supposed to go see the Grand Canyon and they've all, they always wanted to do that together. They never got an opportunity because COVID hit and then he got COVID and, yeah. you know, and now we're going to the Grand Canyon for her birthday this year. You know, yeah. something that we can enter into together. And and we don't even have to talk about the grief. We could just be and hold space for each other. Whether she can see that or not, it doesn't matter. It's like just being there. So mm-hmm. I, I love that. Thank you so much for just sharing it's like so good. And I, I agree with you. I think for my mom, our relation, you know, no matter the familial relationship, like husband, wife, mother, I think we have different personal relationships. And my mother was not the type that I spent every day with, or we went and got pedicures all the time, did all the girly things. But there were these times that were connecting. And my mother was the one that if it snowed, she called you at 6 a.m. and said, it's snowing. 
it's raining. She was a weathered Nazi. And so when we've had weather events, you know, you expect that's something you went in. When I had COVID last week, that would have been something I would have taught my mom, well, we have COVID. Um, so I think those moments, because my mom's been gone, I mean, it's nearing 10 years. And there's just those little succinct moments of this is a missing place. This is a broken link that will never be again. So yeah. totally get that, Heidi. Well, let's talk about the do's. We talked a lot about the don'ts. Let's talk about the do's. One thing we love to talk about on Midlife Mike is loving people well and being actionable. So as a grief educator, as a widow, how do we love those around us well when they are experiencing profound grief? One, stop and listen. Um, that's the hard part is that lots of times people have all these questions. How did they die? Where were you? They want to know all the details, but instead just listen. And I encourage you to use the words that the person said. So if they say passed away or death or died, use the word that they use. Because if you say, if they said my husband passed away and you say, Oh, when did he die? It's like nails on a chalkboard. Cause that word doesn't resonate for them. And I, I, I learned firsthand. I was, volunteering somewhere and somebody mentioned to me that somebody standing beside me just lost their brother and I said you know you lost your brother unexpectedly and he was like I didn't lose him he died and I was like his word has died I need to make sure that I use that word so make sure you listen and use the words that are that resonate for the person I also avoid putting statements on um, people so if somebody is if I know somebody has a very strong sense of faith or um, very dedicated to a religion, I don't mention it until they've mentioned it. So I don't say, well, they're with God now, or, you know, God has a bigger plan until they do, because death can rock somebody's core and it can change their faith. And so we've got to do that with a little bit of um, grace and genuineness and just allow them to, to gather that. Um, and then I would also encourage that, you know, you just hold that space. Thank people for their tears. Thank them for being open with you. I believe that when somebody wants to share their grief with you, it's sacred space. It is. And it deserves to be honored. It doesn't deserve to be, oh, don't cry because I, I don't want to cry. Be honest with them and say thank you. Or, uh, you know, thank you for allowing me to cry with you. Okay, um, can I put a couple of them up on the block and you tell me yay or nay or maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using their name. Yeah. You like that? If the person is comfortable with it, right? Some people are not. Some people, I, I, I am. I love when I hear about, from my, about stories about Mike, but some people are like, it, it feels like a knife. And so if somebody says, hey, it's really hard right now, I don't feel like stepping into that today, honor that. Allow them to be. But lots of times you'll see them change. You'll see them either light up and go, thank you. Mm -hmm. And light up might be that they still have tears, but tears could be just like a relief that, hey, I thank you for seeing that this is still uh, every breath I take still imp is still part of this memory. Um, I also encourage you to lean in and, and, and ask people, you know, specific things. Lots of people will say, call me if you need me. Well, a griever doesn't know what they need. Mm. So be specific and say, Hey, I'm going to the grocery store today. Can I pick up groceries? You know, that um, I know this to be true because I've had some people that I did ask these very, because I'm a fixer. I want to do the tangible thing. I don't want to just do the send the flower wreath. And I had one friend that I knew had some financial struggles, and her parent passed away recently. I said, 
we can send flowers or I can send you some cash. What's going to be more helpful to you? She said, the kids are coming in from college. There's going to be extra groceries to buy for all these people. The cash would be so much better. And she was so grateful. And I didn't have to have anybody know that. I didn't have to have this bouquet. You know, when we want to send the biggest, best bouquet to be seen, you know, who are we really doing that for? I think we're in a period where people are more open to different kinds of mm-hmm. acknowledgement. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the flower. There's a great um, website called mealtrain.com. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And so you yes. can set that up. You can create a profile, send a link mm-hmm. out on social media, and people can sign up so that the griever doesn't end up with 17 casseroles on the yeah. same day. Meal Train is awesome. Well, and it'll, <laughs> yeah, it allows you to do even just gift cards and stuff. Yeah, yeah gift cards, or you can order like DoorDash, DoorDash. skip mm-hmm. the dishes, and all of that stuff. And then they even have like, if you pay, I think it's 10 bucks, you that you can say, hey, they need help with chores or they have to oh. give rides to kids and all that kind of stuff. So when all of a sudden, you know, especially when it's something like, say there's a family accident in a car mm. accident or something, and there's people in the hospital, having those signups can make such a big difference where it's like, it's just done for you. You can just, here's the, somebody says, hey, how can I help? And you're like, here's the link. This is what I need. Well, even sometimes you know? people are in situations where they're having a long drive back and forth to a hospital, a gas card, some coffee cards. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ways if we will quit just doing the expected. And if you really, if this is true, close friend, like, I mean, I don't want to speak out of term, but when Christine's father died, I told her, I said, I can come to California or I can love you from here and take something off your plate from here. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share more about that? Because that's your story and I don't want to. Yeah, she, I mean, I just, I get a a little bit emotional talking about my dad still, so forgive me. Um, But Gail was just really good at that. She just, she just said, you know, I think that I can do either or, and I think that the best way that I can serve you is doing this. And it was so great because when you're in the midst, and Heidi, you can probably agree with this, when you're in the midst of grief, you're in a fog. You can't believe that it is happening. And it's happening and you're like, is this really happening? Am I dreaming? Am I like, I can't catch a footing. At least this is how it felt for me. And for her to think for me was like the best gift, you know, the best gift. It was like, and I don't know how to do that well because I hadn't lost my dad yet for some of my friends that had lost their, you know, parents. And so experiencing it now, I know how I can show up for them. And so Gail just really, it was so great. I didn't have to think for myself. It was like, can you just think for me? And that works, you know, and, and I was and this grateful, super no grateful. way to make this about me. I just want to encourage people to think outside the box yes. and, and know your personality. Like if you expect a long flowery card from me, <laughs> you're going to be waiting a long that's time. Not gonna that's not going to happen. I just, I really, I can tell you She's how much I love you sucks. and <laughs> all the feels. Yeah. I can tell you over and over. I can send you a message. I can do all those things, but writing it is hard for me. Mm-hmm. I'm just not that. I just feel like I have trouble getting it onto the page, and it just gets all messed up. So I've tried to look for ways that I love people, and I'm I'm a very logical brain person. And my thought is, what can they not handle right now? Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, is it part of their business that I can step in and do from them mm-hmm. if we have a shared business? If you're in church with someone and that person always handles Wednesday night dinners, could you volunteer to step up and take that off her plate for a while? And I think, like, how do you said making space? I think sometimes making space can be don't take anything away from them they want, but ask them, would this be helpful if I took this right. off your plate? And that allowed you more space to grieve. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage our listeners to think outside the box. Just don't do the expected and ask what the true need is. Yeah. I I had my neighbor, he showed up the day after Mike died and he was standing on the driveway holding me while the firemen were working mm-hmm. on him. Like he's a very good friend of mine. And the next day he showed up with the Costco size box of Kleenex, the really good Kleenex. Like I don't need the flowers. Cheap Kleenex, he, the no, good no, Kleenex. Don't, yeah. Don't send that rough stuff that hurts your eyes and nose. <laughs> like he knew, he knew that flowers weren't needed. The Kleenex was, and I mean, we've got that relationship, oh. right? I've got a quirky sense of humor and he showed up and it brought a smile to our face and it was like, a well-used gift. I'm not going to lie. Right. Yeah. And I think he was saying to you, I'm in this with it's you. Okay. We're going to yeah. do this together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's okay that you're going to cry. Yeah. Like, and you're going to cry a lot. So here you go. Right. Like, so um, can we agree to ask what the need is, is truly yeah. ask. Or, or sometimes you need to be specific. Hey, you know, like he was great too. He's, uh, we lived in a, a condo complex. And so he was like, please leave the garbage on the doorstep. And when we walk by, we'll take it to the bin. Oh, see, so that's specifically great help. suggest. Yeah. Great like, help. And it seems super small, but it's, it's such like a great- I had so many people staying at the house that I would always have to teach them where to take the garbage. Yeah. It's such I love a great that because, Yeah. I think so many times when someone says, what do you need? We don't know how much they're willing to do or give. And we don't know if they're offering financial help, time help. So when we do make these suggestions, even if you just give someone a list, look, I can't do this, but these are the things I could do for you if any of these are helpful. Mm -hmm. Do you Mm -hmm. find that to be appropriate? Exactly. Because what happens is, you know, somebody will say, hey, call me if you need me. And they're like, hey, I need help raking the leaves. And -and so-and-so is like, I'm not raking your damn leaves. I don't want to rake your leaves. And all of a sudden the relationship falls apart because somebody asked something because they said, hey, I'm there if you need me. And then they're not. Hmm. Well, like so, for me, I don't want to keep your toddlers. I haven't had yeah. a toddler in a long time. I'm not equipped for that in my home. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but. <laughs> Gail would have them doing crafts or playing in the yard. <laughs> I mean, I just, you, Gigi will put you in the car and go buy you something and get you some ice cream. But that would not be, and what I'm meaning by that, I don't mean to be insensitive, but that would not be my best way to serve. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if one of my friends had to have that, trust me, I would do it. But I yeah. think the beauty, you know, if you're a believer, you believe things work together mm-hmm. and people even just universally there's probably somebody that has what you need. That's what I'm finding in life. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that can fill your empty space. If we are open yeah. and we have those kind of discussions, there's somebody who would love to throw your kids in with them. There's somebody who would love to bake you a cake. I will go to Strassner's, the best bakery in town, and get you a cake. But if you need somebody to bake one, you need to knock on another door. But you need a <laughs> pot of the best soup you've ever eaten. I can make some soup. So, I think we all have our gifts. Hmm. And I know, listen to my friend, like somebody gave her like some wind chimes and she sits in a Spartan spot and that was very meaningful to her. So I think what you said in the beginning, stop and listen, 
see where the where is the vacancy, where's the vacuum, mm-hmm. and how do you put something into that space that's comforting? Yeah, and sometimes it's just time. Sometimes they just need you to be there and just to show up and not have to be like, I I had a friend who was like, please come over for dinner and have a sleepover. We can watch movies and popcorn or ice cream or whatever you want, but I don't want you to be alone tonight. I'm glad you brought that up. I think some people like to be alone and some don't. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, but sometimes just sitting and doing something normal together can be very comforting, right? Yeah, exactly. And it was just nice. Like it was a Saturday night and the weekend nights can be so hard. And it was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you for seeing that I'm lonely because there's a big part of lonely and grief. Mm -hmm. You know where I think can be a very sad place and a very lonely place in grief? It's going to be so weird. Church. Mm -hmm. When I went to church the first Sunday after my mom passed and we got situated, I wasn't in a church. It was a new church. I didn't really know anybody. It's like literally our first few visits there. And y'all, they started playing some song, and I started boohooing. I didn't even have a Kleenex. If y'all ever need to know, a panty liner is very absorbent <laughs> on tears. <laughs> and I thought, hey, I'm in a church. I don't know anybody. Oh, I'm wiping my face with a panty liner. But I thought, this is quite effective. It's not messing up my makeup. There's no lint. So just that's your advice of the day. But a church. Put that and, in the show notes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Panty there's your tip of the day. For tears. <laughs> but the same thing when I went through a divorce, church was a very hard place for me because people always went there as families. And I think sometimes those are the hardest places when you've got to show up mm-hmm. and you're in a new role and you don't fit this place that you were so comfortable. Maybe, maybe you were in a club where you rode motorcycles with your husband. Now you're missing that club. Like you said, you're missing those friends. You no longer fit there because it was for couples. And I think that is so sad. And that is just extra loss and grief. And if you're in that space and you see that woman or that man walk in, gosh, go to them, go to them and whatever, you know, make them, let them know you are still welcome here. Yeah. And we still Invite love them you. and their grief. Like that's, that's the hard part is grievers feel like they don't get, they have to show up as a person. And when you actually say, Hey, I see you're hurting. I see that you've lost somebody. I want you to know that this is a space that you can honor them in any way that you need. Or if you want to talk about them, it can make such a big difference to say, Hey, I see that you're hurting and honor that invite them and their grief because it's part of who they are. I will grieve Mike to the last breath I take because I will love him to the last Mm. breath I take. And that's beautiful. You know, gosh, so many thoughts there. Go ahead, Christina, because I'm Mm -mm. just like. I can't right now. You know, I think that we we just, it's a beautiful piece. And when when we can see that grief is love and that when somebody's hurting with grief, it's because they love deeply. And just be like, wow, I want to be loved as deeply as you love that person. Can we also say, though, that you don't have to be a train wreck to prove your love either, though. Some of us are more resilient. (laughs) And some people like some people look at me and my mom and say, well, you moved out of state that week and you went on with your life. Yeah, I did. My mom was sick for three months. We knew what was happening. I said my goodbyes. There was a lot of peace my mom and I didn't run around each other daily. It was okay. I had been living distance from my parents for a while geographically, you know. So I didn't have this, oh, my gosh, my mom daily thing. And I know some people were probably like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. 
I, I want to touch on something you said there, though, about invite them in their grief. Because, Heidi, have you felt pressure that if you were going to show up somewhere, you had to show up in a way other than how you were truly feeling? I totally, for the first year, felt like I had to armor up every time I yeah. went out the door. And that's an unfair thing we put on people. Because mm-hmm. I have and, heard and, people and some say. Of, some of that is that some of that was the expectation on myself. Mm-hmm. Sure. But some of that was that people didn't want to see melting, messy Heidi. Well, and, and people don't know how to, well, they don't know how to enter into it either. So it makes, like we were saying in the beginning of the show, it makes people uncomfortable because now it's, maybe it's something that's pressing on them. Maybe it's something that they're going through currently, or maybe it's something that they haven't even thought about. And now you're bringing it to light and, uh, you know, it's challenging. It's challenging for people. And so you do have to do that. That it's okay that you can come to an event and have fun and also be in pain. Can we say that? Can we just acknowledge that's okay? You can come to an event and cry, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't have come. It doesn't mean it for you. It doesn't mean it for the host. And know that I could go to an event and have fun and come home and feel guilty. Mm. Mm -hmm. Especially in those early days, weeks, and months. I remember that. that. Right? And that's normal. Mm. And 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 turn around and be like supporting somebody to say, hey, I know that finding joy right now is hard. And so know that I see you and, and it was nice to see you smile today. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love inviting you and your grief and know that if you're there and you cry, it doesn't have to ruin the event. Yeah. When we welcome you and we tell you to come in any condition, that's got to be very freeing because I've heard heard people say, oh, "I don't want to go and just cry and ruin it for everyone." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that, yeah. that right there. I'm putting a star beside because, that, Heidi. Invite because them when we celebrate, we and honor. their grief. Yeah, we celebrate when, and we honor. And a lot of people lose their people at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Christmas funeral directors yeah. are super busy. It's crazy. And so Christmas can be really hard for a lot of people. And so people are like, yeah. And I hate like, when people die go. around the holidays. I had a friend know, whose mother the, passed away on Mother's Day. I haven't said, Mike was such a, I said to Mike, you're such a dick for dying at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's, why'd you have to screw that up for me? And the week after Christmas is the absolute worst because that's a sucky yeah. week anyway. It's over. Well, yeah. I was like, you ruined Christmas. You ruined my birthday. His birthday is January 6th. Yeah. Like, Gosh, man, like you, you made it hard. Yeah. But it, it is what it is. Right? It, it ruined know. my birthday and <laughs> so yeah. I get it. I'm like, not trying to be that it's about me, but gosh, now it's a yeah. forever. Could you have picked a better yeah, day to now die? it's a forever memory. But, you know, I think, I think too, you know, I'm a believer. So I think God's timing is, is perfect. And I think that I'm the one that doesn't mean I always like it. No, I don't always like it, but I know that it's perfect. And I know that I'm the one that could handle it. Yeah. Mm. And and I encourage you never to say to a griever that they're strong. Mm -hmm. Really? I always say that they're, yeah, because they're not, nobody went to the gym to watch their person die. (laughs) You're not strong. You're courageous. You're brave. Honor their courage for putting one foot in front of the other. Mm, I love that that. one down. They are courageous. They're not strong because they don't feel strong. Mm -mm. No, because you're helpless and helpless and lonely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, so this, I know strong. y'all get tired of me every episode. I have to mention the Enneagram, but I'm thinking about the Enneagram and I just really, I know this is so dumb tied into this episode, but you know, I have this thing about loving people well and everybody doesn't know need to be loved in the same way, mm-hmm. in the same cadence, in the same spirit, with the same language. And I think grief is no different. Like yes. I have a friend and there were some specific things I was able to love her in a different way than I loved Christina, mm-hmm. even though they were going through this in different times. But only my Enneagramness knew, you know, Enneagramness, I just made up that word. Y'all like that. <laughs> Jen Whitmer will be so proud of this episode. But y'all, this is why we need to do the work on ourselves and mm-hmm. we need to do the work you know, the therapies, the, the, like you talk about um, personal development, because when these times do come, you're going to be better aligned to handle things and know yourself. And part of my thing with my mom, I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm going to go into action. I had the hospital bed out that day because we didn't want to look at that. And I knew that was going to cause people grief. I had those medicines down the sink and accounted for with the hospice nurse. I was into action. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, at the funeral home. My dad's over here. He is no freaking help. Um, He wasn't the whole time he was checked out. We had two patients, but that was my personality. And to say that the next person did it differently is nothing on them. That's the way I handled it. But the thing is, when we know about what people's Enneagram numbers are, what their personality types are, we can kind of better assess what their needs may yeah. be. And I knew Christina was going to be a hot mess. That's I knew she was going to be really in her sevenness. She wasn't going to be able to think. She wasn't going to be able to take action and handle things. I'm pretty good at handling things, even a crisis. That's, that's a giftedness. That was not going to be her gift. And my other Enneagram friend... I knew she would really second guess how she handled everything. Hmm. So when we know about people, y'all just really believe this. We can love them better. We can love them in grief. We can love them in health. We can we can do all the things better when we really understand and we take that time to know other people, learn to communicate, learn the words they need to hear. Because hmm. the words Heidi needed to hear are different from the words Christina needed to hear and what I needed to hear. As an eight, yeah. I need to be told I handled that well and I served my parents well during that season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have I gotten that yet? Not really, because I don't know what my dad, I think he's a three and he's all in his insecurities. And he's never really talked about you and your brother really handled your mom's illness well. And I really needed to hear that. That would have helped me. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to do was handle it well for them. Yeah. Handle yeah. the caretakers, the medications. But I just really have to throw that in every time because it just comes so clear to me that that's the way we can love better. Yeah. And do better. Well, and it's how we how we can show up and, and show people that they make it they mean something to us, that they've made they make a difference to us. And when we can love them where they're at rather than yes. where we're at, mm-hmm. it makes such a big difference. Yeah. And the hard part with grief is I think because we've avoided it so off for so long, people turn around and they're like, oh my gosh, you're grieving. I remember when my grandma died five years ago and I haven't dealt with it. So let me kick the door open and let's talk about that shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. It's like, Not your turn. <laughs> Not your turn. <laughs> like, right? And, and so I encourage people, grief around us everywhere. It isn't just when people die. Mm-hmm. It's around little yes. kids grieve beautifully. Toddlers, when their balloon floats away or they lose their pet rock mm-hmm. and they're crying, that's grief. Mm-hmm. Teenagers. You know, we've got a show coming up about 
other forms of grief, loss, Mm -hmm. trauma, changes. Because I I do think grief creeps in in a lot of places. Oh, it's everywhere. But when we actually work our grief muscle and say to a kid, like, instead of saying, don't cry, it's just a balloon, or here's another balloon, turn around and say, hey, I see that your pet rock was important to you. Mm. You know, when when the teenager gets... The teenager gets pissed off because you took the cell phone away or turned off the Wi-Fi, mm. you know, mm. and they're angry. That's grief, right? Little toddlers yeah. crying, teenagers Saying, yelling I know at this you. is hard. Y'all, yeah, I just can tell that. you, I mean, I have made fun of people who got all distraught about their animals. I'm not going to lie. Mm. There's been times I've been insensitive. But if, when, if and when something happens, that ranger dog in there. Y'all just better bring all the casseroles and flowers and visitations because <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be a there parade. There'll be a parade for sure. This woman is going to be a freaking wreck. I mean, I'm so love that dog and yeah. he plays such a role in my life. And I, y'all, it's so bad that he's eight now. And I start thinking about we've got less time left. Anticipatory yeah. grief. Yeah. yeah. I, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But I mean, it's different. Well, the hard part with fur babies is they have an amazing ability to wrap themselves around our hearts. Yes. This is the, I've never been attached to one like this. I was not a big animal person, but this freaking dog that we got for my son. Me neither. That's so funny. Eight years ago is now like, <laughs> we love our get dogs. out of the house, kids. It's time for, yeah. like, we're empty nesting and we're like, it's us and Ranger and we're so happy. And he just is so like his his mom and dad having COVID all week, that dog was in heaven. Everybody's just here with him. Yeah. I just love that dog. And I just know my grief's going to be great and people aren't going to understand. They're going to go, oh, her fucking dog died. Oh, whoops, I said the word again. But I mean, just I'm just but, telling y'all and, what and my needs are. Grief, but the grief is also going to be that you're going to watch your son grieve. Mm. That was your son's dog. Well, we'll see. He hasn't treated him like he's his dog. You know how they bring these dogs home. He is a snake <laughs> yeah, now, so but I'm I mean, not going to grieve mom, a snake. Um, could you imagine my mom watching me grieve a pain she hadn't grieved before? Mm. That would be so hard on a mother. Mm. Yeah. Because mothers that's especially, so you talk about that pain adverse. We're really pain adverse with our children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We would take it for them. Not that long ago where her son and his wife... Um, had a miscarriage mm-hmm. and it was significant like four or five months yeah that's in, significant like, yeah that's significant uh, you know here we are and judging though no and I uh, no, not judging I said it's a significant one like and she was really struggling and I said, but I'm saying we're struggle. attaching significance to distance yeah yeah it, but yeah. I, and yeah. I think that's normative that we would do that I just want to put a yeah. pin in that and say here we are <laughs> that that was a that was a worse miscarriage than if she was I get it it's normal yeah well, it, was, it wasn't one where the mother, the grandmother didn't know. She had known for a few months that the mm. baby existed. Like lots of times miscarriages happen quite early. Yeah. And nobody even knows, right? Um, but she had already started dreaming and attaching. thinking about outfits and, you know, attaching. And then all of a sudden she was like, I have to go and see my son tomorrow and I'm really anxious. And I said, because you can't take your son's pain away. Mm. And she just bawled and she's like, you're right. And mm. I think that's really hard when you, she, cause she was grieving too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was like with me and my father, I had to take care of him and handle his grief while I was handling my own. So I'll be honest, I don't really feel like I got to grieve because mm-hmm. my role was to handle my father's grief. And, you know, as an aide, I got to handle everything, got to be in control, got to make everything good for everybody. I think that's what, how do you really hit on something there? That's, 
We need to look out for that person that's Mm -hmm. in our life that she's handling grief for other people because that may not be on our radar as quickly. And that's a, oh. It's a gooder, isn't it? And, you know, my dad has never, here's another thing. He's never asked my brother how we were doing the whole time. Mm. It just wasn't in his capabilities. I was going to say he's just maybe not capable of doing that. I didn't have a sister. It's my mom who's dying. So I didn't feel like anybody even cared how I was feeling or what I was going through. And hmm. my mom died. And, and I, a lot of times people don't ask questions that they don't want the answer to. He doesn't want to know you're hurting because mm-hmm. he doesn't have the capability to help you. Yeah. Hmm. And that's, what, what does he do with that answer, Gail? He really has made it about him most of the time. I'm just going to be honest. And that's been hard as his daughter to say, why don't you care how this impacted me? Because the little girl, Gail, still wants to be loved by her parents. Yeah, I wish. Because we all, I think up into the time our parents die, let's visit this for a moment. You know, when you start to lose your parents and aunts, you realize those are the people who comfort you through the other deaths and passing. Like when your grandmother dies, your mom's there. When your, you know, your aunt's there, even when your parent dies. Well, we're running out of people in my family. Mm-hmm. So with my mom gone and I don't have any sisters and I have sons and sons are great, but we know they're not like daughters in, in those moments. Um, but we as friends need to be more aware of what her mm-hmm. support system is and how we may need to step in and play a different role when someone doesn't have those things versus yeah. the girl who's got a ton of family or her parents are still living or, you know, that's very different than if you have no parents and you lose your spouse and you don't have any children mm-hmm. around. That's a very different scenario, both it, it, tangibly and emotionally. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And as a doer in your head, you're like, I, I got to get my shit together and have my mm. affairs in order because nobody ain't going to do this stuff. And, and that's, and, or I'm going to be looking down going, no, no, don't do it this way. Right. It's so funny because I, I did that when, when my dad got sick, Gail watched me just, okay, every, everybody's getting their shit in order. Do, 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 yeah. Do, do. yeah. Yeah. Because when you leave those loose ends, that can really compound somebody's mm-hmm. grief if they are not. Now, for some people, the handling it is the grieving. They love that, being able to be active and do things. And for some people, that's just compounding what they've got to deal with and they cannot function. Right. Yeah. We need to think about that when we're pointing our, you know, what do you call it? Executors. Your, exactly. yeah, yeah, executors and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So much to think about, it, right? Heidi. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with my brother saying, are you comfortable being the executor to my estate? And he was like, what's an executor? I'm like, wrong answer. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, Not you. (laughs) you, You're clearly not the person. (laughs) Yeah. And I love him dearly, but I'm like, if you don't know what that is or what that that, wrong answer, right? Right. Right. It's not something I want to put on him. You know, I think, and because we want to wrap it up here, but tie back to the midlife spaces. I think we just have to remind ourselves that this is a season that is going to come with more grief. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have more losses as as we grow older. I mean, my dad is turning 88 tomorrow and he's buried wow. his wife 10 years ago. He's buried most of his friends, his sibling, you know, of course, parents, aunts, uncles, you know. 
we need to remember in life, the older people get, sometimes the lonelier it is because it is hard to, it is Mm -hmm. hard to die, but it's hard to be the one that watched everyone else Mm -hmm. die. And that grief just has been very compounded for him. And so just know, ladies, we're just being honest, going here on out, there's going to be more of it and we need to get good at it. We need to learn it for ourselves and by being good, good at it, no disrespect to Heidi, I'm just saying we need to have resources in place. We need to prepare that we're going to suffer grief and we need to get better at loving the people around us through their grief and finding out how we can support. Mm. Y'all agree? What do y'all want to throw in there before we close it down? I think it's it's those moments when we feel like we're going to, we should run away or say nothing. Those are the moments we need to lean in. And when we can do that, it really helps us all to grieve with grace. Mm. Yeah. What do you say, Christina? I just say that, you know, if you're a listener and you're just unsure of what to say, learn how to be present and hold space for people because there are things that I don't say well, um, they don't land well with people. And the best thing that I can do is say, I have no words and I'm here and I can hold space for you and I can listen without any judgment, without any questions, but just allowing you to just process through, um, because that's, that's my best gift to people that go through that stuff is not saying anything because hold space. Don't fill space. Exactly. Exactly. Mm, Hold space. Don't fill the space. Mm -hmm. I love that. I want to fill it and fix it. So, um, Gosh, Christina, that was, you know, that was a lot. Here's what I want to end with. As we grow into being midlife women and we want to do things in a different way, you know, our parents were not seekers of therapy or assistance or help. It's not who they were. And we learned from that generation. But when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And I want our generation to be a generation that seeks the help they need. And we freaking one of my best things is use your words. Mm-hmm. We are not toddlers. Use your words. Know what you want and need. Be in touch with yourself. Know what you want and need in this moment. Give that some thought. And you're not being selfish to say, gosh, what would really help me at this moment is. If you can't figure that out, sit down with someone who can. Get out a notepad. Do the things. But verbalize it. So you know what I really need is somebody to take care of my yard for a while. You know what I really need is someone would take my animal for a while. It was my, it was my, you know, my husband's animal that I don't like and I can't deal with that too. Whatever your need is, it's okay. And we need to own that and we need to vocalize it and verbalize it so people can, we're doing that martyrdom thing again. I'll act like I'm fine and I won't have any needs. So if no one knows my needs, they can't meet my needs. And then later I'm going to talk about how no one met our needs Mm -hmm. and how I'm so sad and martyred. That's bullshit, ladies. There is no prize for martyrdom. Nobody's going to care and look that you suffered so greatly. There are no prizes for that. Mm -hmm. So stop it. Mm -hmm. And this is a place we can really stop it. Say what you need. Be open with honest. And you can say to people, I think Heidi would agree, this may not be something you could do for me, but if you know anybody, this would really yes. help. Yeah. Just use our freaking words, y'all. You know, I'm lonely. Would you just come watch a movie? There's not weakness in that. There is strength, ladies, in knowing who you are and what your needs are and having the guts and courage, like she said, courage to ask for that. So mm. 
that's that's my ending thoughts. Unless y'all have got something more, what do y'all say? No, I think it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, Heidi, you're beautiful. Thank Your you, story, ladies, as are you. Uh, you know, to be loved like you loved your husband's a beautiful thing, no matter how long it lasted. Mm-hmm. And some people are loved better in a few years than people who spend a lifetime together. So I hope you're able to cling to that. And he obviously loved you as well, too. Thank you for sharing your story you. and your rawness. And um, thank you for sharing your stories. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to lose parents. And you guys were so vulnerable and, and stepped into it. So thank you. Yeah. Well, now there's a book. Is that right? It's out um, or it's I- coming? It's coming, yeah. I'm writing a book on legacy, and then my second book will be on what to say and not to say to somebody who's grieving. Oh, so we may need that one, one first. <laughs> yeah. have, you, have you thought this out well, Heidi? Let me just be your business mentor. Okay, is there a website or a place where you're doing work? HeidiDunstan.ca. I'm not working right now. I'm really just getting the message out. I, I, you know, I always see that grievers are struggling with either they miss their person, they're dealing with family, estate, paperwork, mm-hmm. and crap. Mm-hmm or the shitty things that people say to them. And if I can help gravers or if I can help people who are like, I want to do something, but I don't know what, and it's awkward, it just fills my cup. So right now I'm just getting the message out and you guys are a big part of So are there resources on your website? Uh, Yeah. All the podcasts that I do are on and all the podcasts I've been on, I've I've been there. Um, There's a toolkit. I often run a free masterclass called Okay, great. Heidi Dunstan. And that's Heidi, H-E-I-D-I Dunstan, D-U-N-S-T-A-N dot C-A, C-A as in Canada. Um, She's one of our north of the border friends who's now flown south. So that's why we're going to visit her. Um, (laughs) We appreciate your willingness to rip these band-aids open and show your grief and be vulnerable, it's the best guide possible as someone who's walked through that forest. And um, the work you're doing is important. We want to support that. You're part of our Midlife Moxie family Mm -hmm. um, and just can't wait for your books. So thank you so much, Heidi. Thank you, And thank you for your vulnerability, Christina. I know this wasn't an easy show for you, so I appreciate you, girl, and send you a big hug, both of you. So... What do we always say? Until next time, go and get your moxie on. Bye-bye now.